Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. On the Behind the Mask podcast, we have some of the greatest athletes to ever play the game and some of your well-known celebrities. We are discussing a wide range of topics, including fatherhood, relationships, business ventures, social issues, and untold stories. On the Behind the Mask podcast, there's only one rule. There are no rules. Sharing my story, talking to them, listening to them, um, bringing my medal, letting them put it on and see that it's possible to be a black girl from the south side of Chicago and go do whatever it is you want. Like, how in the hell did you get into bobsled? Let's go behind the mask. Yo, welcome back to another edition of the Behind the Mask podcast. I'm your host, Takeo Spikes. Minus the plus-size model, the only plus-size model that I know, 40 years old, and how do you come down with strep throat? <laughs> like, is him, is, is him and Sam Donald, they, they running together? Sam Donald had mono. But it doesn't matter, though, because we got something way stronger than, than back up. My co-host today, also the guest, Asia Evans. Give it up. <laughs> hoo, hoo, hoo. Hey, thank you, thank you. What's going on? How, how is everything going, though? You, All-Star Weekend just finished. And you know what? Before we even get into anything, this is the first episode for season two. Yes. The first. Listen, the first two. female we've had on the show. I'm honored. Listen, we are honored. And you're a trailblazer. Thank but you. But before we even get into anything, though, I like, for real, I got so many angles and questions and mm-hmm. everything that I want to ask, but... Like, how in the hell did you get into bobsledding before I even talk about your bio? Right, right. What do you know about bobsledding? I, let me tell you what I think I know about uh-huh. bobsledding. I know I think it's three people in, mm-hmm. and you got the person, you got the two people in the front who just, they never look up. And I'm like, how in the hell? They might <laughs> got like some, some, anyway, you see them uh-huh. in there, and then you see the person in the back who is really who I think, like, like, they really doing that damn thing. You know what I'm saying? Okay. They push and push, and then they jump in, and then they get down, and then they finish all the way through. Okay. That's what I know about bobsledding, and I know it's cold as hell, too. It is. But bobsledding, so it's four-man for men, and then women do two-man. So my job is the brakeman. I get in, I'm the engine to the sled. I get it going as fast as possible from the start. I hop in right after the driver, and she steers us down the track. And then after we pass the finish line, I'm the one that pulled the brakes, and that's when my job comes in is brake me. But, but how? I like, know. It's crazy, right? I'm from the south side of Chicago. Like, there's no bobsled tracks over there. I got into the sport because I'm a track and field athlete. A lot of people who go into bobsled and a lot of these Winter Olympic sports can kind of transition from other sports because you need that power, that speed, and that um explosiveness that I had in track and field. And so I got into bobsled because in 2010, um, my coach at the time. Mike Herb, right? Yeah, Coach Herb at at University of Illinois. He was telling me how um, he thought I'd be really good at it. And I didn't buy into it because, I mean, like, I just knew the movie Cool Runnings. It was one of my favorite movies. (laughs) And, you know, it put the the sport on the map, but it also – um, didn't make you feel like you really, like, I don't know. Like, I didn't think I was really going to become Cool Runnings like a boss. <laughs> See, but, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because 
your first love was was track track and field field. yeah right and I thought that's what I was going to go to the Olympics like I had these dreams of becoming this track and field Olympian um I was really really powerful in shot put uh five-time all-american big 10 record holder in shot put um but then I would get in the blocks and sprint as well and so that combination was perfect for the sport of bobsled because our sleds weigh 200 or 365 pounds so that's how much we're pushing on ice at the start of the race and my job is to get it going as fast as possible off the block and then Jamie does the rest of the work down the track and you know I was I mean it's still shocking to me but to be able to see it and you go back and I look at some of the tapes Mm -hmm. like some of your some of your highlights um, USA bobsled team of the year in 2017 bobsled rookie of the year 2013 Mm -hmm. uh, the push champion that was your first year competing in 2012 seven time world cup medalist and I think the big one, um, you know, that I, I I really am excited about, I had the opportunity to hold it, was in Sochi, 2014. Your team yeah. came back, brought it back home, the bronze medal yeah. in the Olympics. So uh, congratulations Thank again you. on that. I brought my bronze to show you. Do you got it? Yeah, let me see it. it right let, me see the, let me see the bronze, man. You always <laughs> let me talk about these. I'm going to hold that medal. Uh Look at that right there. <laughs> that was a powerful moment. You feel the weight in the in the medal. And um, we didn't receive our medal until the next night. So kind of once you pass the finish line, you're an athlete. So you know when you make it to the, to the level you want to be at, it doesn't, you don't just get caught up in the moment. Like you're still in that go mode. So even though I was at the Olympic stage, like, I was still ready to attack all the way through until we passed the finish line. And so when you passed the finish line, it was kind of more so that breath of fresh air. Like, it was done finally. Did you did you know yeah. when you crossed the finish line that— so, Yeah, that's how it works in our sport. So um, and in the Olympics, we compete over the course of two days. On the first day, you have two runs down the track. So we go down the track um, twice. Uh, the order in the first run is based off ranking, and then the second run they do it uh, reverse order based off like the your results from the first run. The timing and yeah, everything. Yeah, uh-huh. And so by the last run of the f- second day, it's in reverse order. So we were in bronze medal position going into the finals, which means once we passed the finish line, we were the first to secure a medal. So um, we knew more than likely we were going to get bronze, but we knew at least we were going to get that bronze medal once we passed the finish line. So take me through that. Yeah. After you knew that you guys, at the minimum, you were going to be walking away with the bronze, the medal ceremony, when they gave you the medal, put it around your neck, like, take us through that. You want the real... Like the real, like straight up. This, well, listen, hold on. If the, pl- if the plus size model was here, uh-huh. he would say, on behind the mask, there's only one rule. There are no rules. Yeah. So you can do whatever the hell you want to right here. <laughs> so how did it feel? Take us through it. Yeah, when that, the metal, if you get to feel it, it's a very heavy metal. Um, it really brings it all into perspective. We received this metal at night, the next night. So we built up all that anticipation of finally getting our hardware. And um, it's with thousands of people outside. And I could see all my family and my friends. I was deep, too. Like, my brother. You had the whole shot town yeah, up there? I had, like, 10 people there, like, just on my behalf. I was so excited. My aunts, everyone was there. Um, and then to stand on that podium and to receive the medal. <laughs> it was 
As soon as the metal hit my neck and it dropped and I felt the weight, I was like, oh, shit. Like, I really just just did it. At at that moment, you, you let go of just that competitiveness and being in the zone. And I was so appreciative of the work I had put in. And, like, it was surreal. Like, you have these visions. I'm very visual. Um, preparing for the Olympics that year, I laid out my um, podium gear. So, you know, when you go to the Olympics, you get, it's like Christmas. You get all this gear from your sponsors and everything. Who sponsored um, you? For the podium gear, it's Nike. And so you all, all the Olympians have to wear Nike gear. And on that year, we had these silver kind of dope, like, coats. Yeah. yeah. It was a reflective blue USA on the back. Like, it was cold. Like, and on the inside, it said, this is your moment. And so I laid out all my clothes, like, right in front of my bed, um, shoes, socks, under everything. And I was, like, watching it every night. I'm like, I'm not wearing this until that day when I get on the podium. Like, that's how, like, I just had to have it. So you visualize so I, yourself. I have that visual. Yep. Every night I was putting on that gear and getting on the podium. Man, that's it's awesome. It's crazy, yeah. And so when the when the weight when that weight hit my neck, I w- I wasn't prepared for that part. <laughs> like I, all the visualization I did, um, hitting that feeling that moment, it was surreal. And I just remember seeing my family there and just like pointing at them, and and we did it. <laughs> hey, it it was definitely was a team effort. Yeah. You talk about your family, and I tell you what was interesting for me was. Um, your mother, she was a track star, mm-hmm. right? Uh, your father, uh, your mother, she ran track and field all throughout high school and college. Yeah. Um, your father, mm-hmm. he was also an athlete. Yeah, he was a swimmer. He's the first black national champion in the breaststroke, a powerhouse. And then your uncle. Yes, Sarge. Gar- what? He was Gary Mack. Sarge. In Sarge. The yeah. <laughs> Sarge in these streets. Yeah, but Gary Matthews, yes. Um, infamous player and coach. He worked with the Phillies. He's known for the Cubs. Um, I grew up as a Cubs girl. See, and then now his son, his mm-hmm. son actually plays too, right? Junior, yep. Matthews Jr. Carried on the legacy. Um, amazing player. Had a, a, a infamous World Series catch that just took him off um, from there. And he played with like Angels and Anaheim, played with. With the Cubs, some too. So yeah. And then we can't forget about your brother. Can't forget about Fred. Fred, oh, I forgot. You know what I mean? To call him Fred. You know, he, I but, used to calling him Freddie. What's up, Freddie? Shout out, Freddie. <laughs> we got to give you a shout out, bro. But <laughs> like, you know, when people hear that and they see that, it's easy for people to discount like the amount of work that you put into it, and you just thought when you were on stage in Sochi after winning that medal. It was like I just thought about all the work that went into it. Yeah. You know, like, describe and explain, like, the amount of work that you had mm -hmm. to put into it. You even tore your ACL before you was getting ready to plan to go to Rio. Mm -hmm. So, like, talk about some of the work that went into it, even though people may say, you know what, maybe she comes from an athletic family Mm -hmm. and it's easy for her to be able to do this. Man, nothing is easy about what we're doing and and really being in that position. Um... I think that what's crazy is one of the hardest points was you can prepare yourself for so much throughout your journey. You can make sure you have the best training, nutrition, um, doing everything you can to put yourself in the best position you feel is possible. But things can still happen outside of your control. And um, In 2014, 
I was in the position to kind of race with the top-ranked USA driver at the time, um, and I had been racing with her the entire season, and I probably only raced with um, my driver like once or twice that whole season. And a week before we raced um, in Sochi, the coach switched us. So, like, we had race-offs, everything. I got switched. Um, he switched me to Jamie's sled, and then he moved um, the other break. That's up. some BS. The, <laughs> literally a week before. And so um, it shook me a little bit because, again, visualizing, working, building a team, you know what preparation goes into really performing at such a high level. And um, I had built that team and, and did that preparation with someone else. And so to get down there and to have that switch, um, it shook me for a second. And I had two choices. It was either to revert back to our old way, my old ways and maybe like let it consume me and um, I not perform because I was distracted by it. Or two, to um, own the moment and be present and believe in my abilities and Jamie's abilities and come together and kill it. Mm. And we killed it. So you had to own the moment yeah. at that time. That's yeah. what you saw. And that was, I feel like that's a, a common theme is like when those storms come, you have a moment, you can let it consume you and and take you over, make you feel sad because things are out of your control. Or you can realize that once it passes, sun comes out, push through, pushes away the dirt. Like, um, And I think that in that moment... I had a decision and I made the one that was best and and we really I felt like we won our medal like bronze or whatever we won that like we earned that medal. Yeah, so it, and you know, I tell people even to sharing your story with mm -hmm. people before you even came on the show. And it's like, you know, people pause and they just say Hey, man, how do you even, like, do they even train for that when they were younger? <laughs> I know. It's crazy. And I'm from the South Side, like I said. And I think that um, I didn't even get recruited for the sport. I went and tried out. And we do combines, like, and we do a com combine-style testing event. We uh, test in five areas. Our sprint, um, our shot put toss, so a throw, which I do. <laughs> I do. Why are you laughing then, though? Why are you laughing squat, though? Squat, power clean, and broad jump. And so uh, in those areas going into it, you could score like 800 out of 800. And I always said such like really. 800 is the highest yes. max score. Yeah, it's the and max your score came in at what? 800 out of 800. See? God. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. Um, preparing for 2014 when I went into the sport in 2012. Um, Fairly I, still a rookie, right? Yeah. Two years into the sport and I won bronze and made my first Olympic team. But it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Um, and I was doing the combine. I was the only girl that showed up for that combine in Lake Placid. I'm like, I want to go to the Olympic Training Center if I'm going to go do it. And it just so happened that the head coach was there at the time, some of the girls, and they came out and watched me perform. And by the time we got to the squats, um, I like to work out like a. I have to squat. I have to be explosive and everything. So when it got time to uh, the squat, I, I was setting a goal to go for whatever their high score was. I mean, their highest uh, number was in the thing. And so um, to get the perfect score, you had to squat about 400. Uh, let's see. One 10 I'm not sure. I forgot what it was, but it was almost like 400 pounds. <laughs> So yeah. you squatted. No, I've read something now, and I wanted to ask you about this. Mm -hmm. 
You worked out with 365 pounds? Yeah, so it's fun. Like, preparing for bobsled, it's our, my off-season is the same time as football off-season. So I train with all football players in Highland Park, um, Illinois, who was, who, at EFC if, Sports. If you don't mind, yeah. Cause yeah I was training with Matt Forte, Devin Hester, Tommy Harris, my brother Fred Evans, Double A, Spice Adams was out there. Um Kelvin Hayden, that's not like it was a good group of people. And you were doing the same things that they would do. Everything. Some of the everything. Yeah. Um a lot of times I would do extra work with like Matt and Tom. Matt and Tommy were great uh role models for me in the gym. Uh Matt has such a finesse when he competes and when he runs and he's very technical. And so like we would do oftentimes have two a days, um, go to the field and do a track workout and then come back and lift. And so um, I would. I had cleats and everything. Like I would do all of this. She taking it to the next level. Man, that's. But but training with them and holding my own. I didn't want to have any excuses. So it taught me a lot about my toughness and the mental toughness I needed going into the sport of bobsled because I'm used to being in a different setting and track and field. You're in a lane. It's just you. I mean, yeah, you got teammates, but at the end of the day, it's you performing. Or in the shop hood ring, it's just me throwing. So, like, to be in a setting um, like bobsled is very similar to football to a certain extent. Like, yeah, we're teammates, but we're competing for to take someone's spot on your team. And so it's a weird mindset I, I had to adjust to. Yeah, so I, I was going to ask you, like, the correlation when you mm-hmm. look at sport. Your first love, if I'm not mistaken, track and field. Yes. So is it any correlation with bobsledding as far as how you look at your teammate? Because I look at tracking, even though I know, you know, we all get into it when the Olympics come around mm-hmm. and we say, yeah, Team USA. But really, though, like if you're doing the shot put, you're the one holding it. You're the one throwing it. Mm-hmm. You can't blame it on nobody else. Right. Versus football, at least if somebody <laughs> gets burnt, you know what I'm saying? Like you can be like, oh, shit, that's my man. Uh And so you know immediately you think, on TV, they finna look and see who it is. So I'm going to point him out like, man, what the fuck? If you do that, that'll hold the TV. I'm telling this little secret what we do. (laughs) But, like, knowing that you don't have anybody to blame it on, it's only you. Mm -hmm. Is there any correlation or or is it just a different mindset when you look at both? like in bobsled, um, the correlation is, like, you take on the blame because – and I'm a brakeman, and I have to earn my position and have to prove myself in the sled. So there are three drivers under Team USA umbrella. So you got on the women's side, you got the first, number one ranked Team USA, number two, number three. And so um, I'm trying to earn my position on the sled. So every time I perform at the start of the race, if I'm not running the numbers I want, I'm taking on that blame. Or or if they are distracted, like you, like you want to show show them that you're more than just an athlete. Like, you can handle all of the aspects of the sport. So it's like... From the mental side of it. Yeah, from the mental side of it and and that you pay attention. And so um, I think that in track and field, it's a a lot similar. Like, if you mess up, you take on that blame. So I was used to doing that. But um, I did have to change how I talked to myself about it. Um, I used to be very negative and, like, hard on myself. And I thought that that was me just... Um, working through my process of like what I needed to know and what I needed to do to change. But like once I started changing how I talked to myself, um, I was performing a lot better too. So give me an example of that because we got a lot of, it's a lot of people who, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of people that follow the show and they take a lot of things, what we say or maybe work for you, maybe work for me and they try to implement it in their daily things. So 
maybe something as an example of mm-hmm. some type of uh, talking to yourself? Yeah. Um, in preparing for 2018, I started working with a mind coach. His name is Grand Parr, and he gave me a lot of um, help on just being more mindful and learning how to meditate, take time to myself and set my intentions in the morning and especially at night. Um, also, in preparation for a race or a competition, um, I had to use more of a um encouraging tone like i get i like to get in the zone and and feel that power and that like i just that's just how i perform what best like as as i start to progress throughout my warm up my music changes like i like to feel the beats and stuff like that but i had to learn how to zone it into what i needed to do in the sport and so he just helped me to become more focused and not distracted by anything along the way and i think that um Taking my time and and uh, like empower like pumping myself up was better than like you messed up here you got changed this shit right here like yeah you yeah. know what I'm saying um I started to realize like I like we 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 uh, review our footage ev- after every run so um the coaches still show us we can measure angles positions everything and so it helps me to prepare for the second one and so even in a review and film like I had to look at it realize pick the things I could change and just focus on those because in them in that moment it's all mental mm. like performing and in competition is almost the easiest part of the entire experience it's like building up to that moment preparing yourself for the journey like Nothing I could physically physically do down there would change too much. It's just about believing in what you've done to that point and and bringing it home. Well, before you brought it home, I know you you talked about the music. You put the headphones mm-hmm. on. Come on, we know you. We need to get something on the playlist. <laughs> What's on the playlist? Yeah, I, I I like a lot of Future. Um, I like his music. Um, it's a, it's probably a lot of like Future Migos. Like I like a lot of rap and hip hop. Um, I'm even a Cardi fan. Like uh, I even like Drake. And so like those type of artists really got me pumped up. But it's funny. I was talking about this the other day about how my music changes throughout the day of competition. So like we usually race at night. So Sometimes and I can't start my day like that because that's that'd be draining to be in it's, that zone. It'd be all day, Not right? Too much. So, so they was like, your transition is so weird. So like usually on the day of competition, I'll start with something um, to put me in a more uplifting light spirit. So it's like Kurt Franklin and all <laughs> like Yolanda Adams, like all your your favorite gospel hits. Like, no, I'm in there jamming. To that. That's dope though. Yeah, and then it progresses throughout the day into more of your. R&B, hip-hop, uh, 90s vibe. I, I used to love um, songs I could, like, jam to but wouldn't get me hyped up because I didn't need, like, when it's time to get hyped up, that's when I turn it on, but I don't need to turn it on anytime before then. And so um, as I start to progress, the music starts to change throughout my day, and then when it's go time, I had this one song I used future. to listen to. It was like an OT Genesis song, and it was uh, Push It, Push It. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, like, <laughs> Like, I had the headphones on, like, in the storehouse, like, go get the money, go, like, going hard, getting ready. So, in the storehouse, that's where all the, that's the holding area to where right. all the athletes, I guess they kind of come warm up or mm-hmm. right before they get ready. And so Yeah, right before we walk out onto the track. So, you in there listening to pushing, and they like, I wonder what the fuck she listening to. I know, to. big headphones blasting it, yeah. That's dope, man. And I used to like that, too, because I needed to get in my zone, so I always, like, like I, had, I travel with, like, three different pair of headphones because, you know, you got your AirPods when you need it. You got the big noise-canceling headphones. That's what I like to work out and train in sometimes. 
especially in public gyms, though, because sometimes when I work out, people be so intrigued. Why they be intrigued? Though? I don't know, like, cause I can't, cause I know what I'm doing. Like, I, I swear, like, you don't have conversation with guys I, while you're in the gym. I do, but yeah. Do they be trying to holler though? All the time, or like they'll try and ask if I need like help or like a squatter, a spotter, or any something like that. They don't be doing that. They you do bo- that you all bullshit. the time. Or and then if I don't have how they be asking, huh? How they ask? They try and ask me like what I'm doing. Like, oh yeah, I see you over here. Let me know you stacking that weight up. Let me see if you need. Let me know if you need help. I'm like, okay, thanks. But you be doing a lot on squats too, though, yeah. right? The parallel yeah. squats, mm-hmm. and so like. Have you ever had a guy to just come up and he sees you about to get ready to get up under the bar? Mm-hmm. And he was like, hey, you know, you know, if you need a squat, you know, we can. <laughs> you, you, you ever had any they one of them? Do, they didn't do all that, but they were just standing there. And I, and I get it. Like, you're not going to be used to going into a L.A. fitness or something and seeing a woman lift like me. Not like Asia me. It's just not like I usually lift in like private gyms and facilities, but sometimes when I'm traveling or I got to just get in a workout, I end up going to more of a public setting. And I know you could, and the guy, and that's like uncharted territory. You'll see women over there a little bit, but they tend to stand, be on the machines. And so when I go to, to lift on the racks and stuff, it's like, you could play some theme music or something like all the guys on the bridge. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like watching a show. Like when I have my music on, I just pay attention to everyone around me. And it's so funny. Hey, have you been in a position, which I know you have. Mm-hmm. You talked about working out with some of the NFL guys and doing some of the same workouts. But you've been in a position to where like you had to make that guy make a business decision to where he knew like, Damn, I didn't realize Asia can push me that hard. Listen, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> Give us oh the dirt God. on Fred. Give us the dirt. <laughs> He's gonna kill me. I would go. So, well, one, um, Matt Forte and I used to go um, pound for pound in this boxing. So, I mean, not boxing, um, in box jumps. So, like, I, I'm very powerful, and using box jumps is a way I like to channel my energy. It's very similar to how I start my race. I'm in that static position, kind of crouch down, and I explode off the block and run down the track. And so in box squats, I mean, in box jumps, we're sitting on a box, and then we jump up and land on a taller one. And I, I could challenge him on that. The highest box I've jumped is came to my shoulders for like 54 inches from a seated position. I've read this. Rumor <laughs> had it like you jumped on a 40-inch box. No, that, oh, I could do a 40-inch box like probably on one leg. <laughs> what? Like 54 inches is the highest I've jumped from a seated position. Damn. I know. And then that time with my brother, um, we were shooting. So it, I did some work with NBC Sports or Comcast Sports. And um, we were filming and... I was in the gym lifting like I do with the guys in the off season, and my brother and I were squatting, and um, I kept going up. And so he was like, well, throw some more weight for him. When it came on his arm, he was like, man, I got to put some more weight on, man. He got under that bar. Did he come back up, or he saw the light at the end of the day? He made it up, but he was like, let me stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get it. But, but that's what they appreciated about me in the gym, and that's what I appreciated about them. Like, they held me to the same standard, like— I was I was dying, but I had to hold it up, and it made me tough in those settings. Like, and it was cool to watch them be like a lot of those guys played against each other. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying? Y'all go hard against each other every Sunday and stuff. And so to see them like working together in the gym and challenging each other, then encourage like that's the dynamic I had to have in bobsled. 
And so it taught me a lot. All right. So we look at, you know, where are we now as far as uh, your career? 2014. Yeah. uh, You were training for the Olympics in Rio, which was 2000. Yeah. So after the 2014 Winter Olympic Games, um, I made this decision that I wanted to go back to track and field. And for me, it was a decision because I was really curious to see how far I've come as an athlete and as um, a person. I felt like with bobsled, I didn't have much of a foundation to go off of. Um, That was my first time in the sport. And so with track and field, I feel like um, I wanted to see how how much I've grown and and really pursue it on a professional level. And so I moved to Arizona and was training out there for track and as a heptathlete, multi-events, seven events. Seven? Mm Mm-hmm. God. I know. I don't even know. Do you even have structure in training when you're training for more than one event like that? Yeah, it's very structured. Um, It's over the course of two days. It includes shot put, high jump, long jump, 100-meter hurdles, 200-meter dash, and um, the 800-meter run and long jump or javelin. And so uh, briefly mention about the ACL tear. Yeah, so I tore my ACL um, during some training for that. And I had a hurdle incident. And so um, it's crazy, though. When I tore it, I'm such a, like, it takes a lot to knock me down. Like, I have a very high pain tolerance. And, like, it, I, I didn't completely tear, so I still had stability in my knee. And we got two different opinions, but we didn't get an MRI at the time. And so um, we just kind of rehabbed it. Uh, we thought it was just bone contusion from the impact of hitting the hurdle or whatever. And so... Um, after about a few weeks of training, I start. I mean, a few weeks of rehab, I started going back into my training. And training for the HEP is it's long days because you have to practice multiple events a day, and um, usually end with like more of your harder workouts. So um, I started getting back into my full training. And for shot put, I couldn't push off on my right leg and my knee, and um, I started to have some problems. And so about two months in, I got a uh, rehab. I went. I got an MRI. And my ACL was over 90% torn. Um, and at that point, I had to call it. Yeah. yeah. So as far as now, dude, what's next? What's next yeah. for Asia? Yeah, I'm kind of transitioning out of sport, actually. Like, I feel like I've had um, such a great career as an athlete, um, as an Olympian, and I'm cool with this journey I'm on, trying to figure it out afterwards. I think that it's a tough decision to come to, uh, especially now that, you know, the Summer Olympics are about to take off. And in about two years, you'll have the Winter Olympics in 2022. And so usually I would start honing in on my decision now if I'm going to make one. But, um, you know, I'm kind of being cool with this journey I'm on. Yeah. Yeah. So haven't made a decision yet, but... Uh, you, you're very well aware of your possibilities, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, I am, and I think that um, any way it goes, like I'm very proud of myself, and I know I'm making the best decision for me. Track and field was your first love. Mm-hmm. Somebody saw something in you that maybe you didn't see in yourself. Yeah. When it came to bobsledding, Coach Mike Herb gave you the recommendation. You took advantage of it. And now you all medaled out, two-time Olympian, all of that good stuff. Now right. you're looking at towards the end of your 
maybe towards the end of your sporting mm-hmm. career. Um, has anybody came up to you and gave you that same type of uh, uh, epiphany as far as any yeah. recommendation on what could be next? It's interesting. Um, since 2018, I've really been very introspective and in trying to figure myself out as well as surround myself around the people I want to grow and, and appeal to. And so um, through the U.S. Olympic Committee, they have a lot of uh, athlete career and education services. So I attended um, a business program at Tuck, the business school at uh, Dartmouth. For two weeks, they have one for transitioning from Look business. at you. Yeah, I was trying to get on my business tip. So I, so I put the same grind, the same energy into learning. And um, we spent two weeks there. Um, I'm part of a business network with the International Women's Forum and Ernst & Young. And so I've just been trying to learn and, and grow and network and see what areas. I've made a lot of connections. I'm starting to get more involved in community impact. Um, I'm on the National Advisory Board for a Positive Coaching Alliance and do a lot of work with the Women's Sports Foundation. And so to really be a part of those things and able to inspire and uplift that next generation, is it excites me just as much as competing. And it's interesting because when I went into the sport of bobsled, it was from an athlete perspective, like I wanted to win gold and I wanted to be an Olympian. Like those are my goals going into the sport and on that journey of pushing through and having that, I started to receive a lot of messages from like people on Facebook and Instagram and mm-hmm. and a lot of women were hitting me up and telling me how um, my story was inspiring them to go after this position at work or to to do the, to they were showing my um, story or this the special I did with Comcast to their kids and they were excited to watch someone black at the Winter Olympics and stuff like that. I started to realize that my platform stood for so much more and that's the beauty in it. That's why we do it, not just to win. I mean, I'm very proud of the medal and that's Absolutely. just proof of the visual, physical proof of. Um, what I went through, but like the journey is the best part about it. And I, and learning what my platform represented, I wasn't just out there trying to win a medal or honestly just represent team USA. Like I was out there representing my city of Chicago. I was rep- representing black women. I'm representing everyone um, who goes after those goals that seem unreal. Because even when I was talking to people about going to bobsled, like no one took it that serious at first. Cause I mean, they didn't. And so it becomes one of those things where you got to show people through your actions. And um, then everyone was Team Asia. See, but especially in the black community, though, mm-hmm. yeah. I have this thing from the um, philanthropic side. You can't be what you can't see. Yeah. And so for you to be able to accomplish so much relative in a short time period when people maybe some Caucasian white people, that maybe that's something that they grow mm-hmm. up doing because that's something that they've always seen and been a part of, which, like you said, it ain't nothing you can do to simulate that as a kid. I, maybe I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. Bobsledding yeah. at a young age. I mean, the only thing I've ever done close to that is our mom took us to, like, the hills and we would go down in little sleds during the summer. I mean, during the wintertime. But uh, to your point, that was one of the most powerful things for me. That's why I love my medal so much is having that physical proof and going to people and see and letting them hold the medal. Um, I talk to a lot of kids, uh, especially from Chicago public school system. And I'm 
I went to Morgan Park High School. I'm part of the, a product of the Chicago Public School System. And if you were to just have anyone come in there and say you could be an Olympic bobsledder, um, they got to look like you. They got to know what what it feels like to be in those seats in order to really make an impact and feel it. And when I go talk to those people and to those kids, like they get to see it and feel and know that it's possible. A lot of times growing up in those areas, you don't see much outside of it. And through sport, I've been able to see much of the world and realize the possibilities and keep pushing for more um, just because I wanted to experience more. And so um, they need to feel it for themselves. And so hopefully if I can help inspire them by sh- by showing, sharing my story, talking to them, listening to them, um, bringing my medal, letting them put it on and see that it's possible to be a black girl from the south side of Chicago and go do whatever it is you want, then I feel fulfilled. Listen, I feel fulfilled <laughs> because that's a great story and I Thank appreciate you. what you do. Even from, um, I thought your event, it was outstanding. It was a four or five hour event that yeah. you had at NBA All-Star Weekend. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. Um, I had my Beauty and the Beast Mode Leadership Symposium. It's the first You were hosting, one. right? Yes, uh, at the St. Jane Hotel, and it was amazing. Um, I had special guests like Carrie Champion. She's an American broadcast television host. Um, she's the founder of... Uh, Brown Girls Dream Foundation. I had my girl Karen Civil, who's media maven. I had everyone in the building. And um, to just kind of have like this intimate group to where we could be open and, and really share our stories and the tools and what that journey looks like to get into the top. Um, it was it was a very powerful day. Maybe it's something, you know, I'm not saying I'm that person, mm-hmm. but maybe that's something that you could look into, going, taking yeah. that on the road and being able to to share that knowledge. I would love to. I think that if we were just getting started. Um, I had Dr. Janice Collins in, and she's a multiple Emmy Award winner, a documentarian, producer, mm-hmm. um, professor, and, and just like the impact we had within that network of women, um, it has to be shared again. And I think that it can uplift and empower anyone. And so uh, I would love to take that on and continue it. It was just the beginning. So it's exciting to see where it goes. Yeah, I. it was also one other person, uh, Amina Smith. Yeah, she was my on girl, that. Amina Smith, yeah. Yeah, so I, I've worked with her on uh, a few things, yeah. online content, So, but uh Everybody was awesome. She was awesome. Yeah, Amina has such a great story. And the beauty in it is with all her success, she's still getting started. And to know that, it's it's, it's exciting. Like, um, I'm excited to see where she goes. And she brought such a light and a spirit to everyone there. So it was was a powerful day. Okay. Well, before we let you go, Mm -hmm. we have the fan interaction. And I kind of take a tally and see exactly what's the best question. So... A fan brought this to my attention, okay. so I'm going to bring it to yours. Back in 2016, the beautiful Asia visited the Steve Harvey show, and he assisted her in her dating <laughs> life. You know, granted, it's 2020 now. We all interested in finding out how is it going so far. And, um, you know, unfortunately, some men can find women of success but to find a lady, two-time Olympian, who understands the grind of mm-hmm. what it takes to get what you want to develop grit and character, uh, how has that affected your dating life? Um, Was Steve Harvey successful? 
Let's start with that first. Yeah, and then Uncle how- Steve. Shout out to Uncle Steve. Shout out to Uncle Steve. Right. Um, he gave me a lot of great insight. It was an honor to be on that show. It was a lot of fun. And I was actually surprised. I didn't know any of my teammates and my sister were there behind that wall. And it was going to be to that level it was. But it was a cool experience. And um, he did have some success in, in getting his message across. Um, I didn't end up really dating that guy, though. But uh, to... To the point of dating to this to right now, um, I'm still single. I think that uh, being an athlete, and for me, I had to pick one or the other at times. Like I needed to focus more on my sport um, in order to stay in that zone and, and keep pushing myself. Uh, and I feel like I'm just yeah, I had to give it give it that time. And so now that I'm taking a step back and, and just slowing things down, like I'm learning a lot about myself in the process, learning how to deal with relationships, how I date. And so it's been a fun process and I'm um, just enjoying it. So with all of that being said, mm-hmm. for all the male listeners out there, <laughs> maybe female, but we're just talking about male too. <laughs> but you're single. Yeah. Okay, there it is. It's out there. We answered that. But... Um, we appreciate you stopping mm-hmm. by uh, the BTM podcast. Thank you. You know what I mean? It, it was an honor to have you here at the beginning of yeah. season two. I'm so girl, look honored. at you. Thank you. Congratulations. Look at you. Season we, two. We got some black Kevin. girl magic in this thing. Hey. And we're going to keep going, too. Awesome. A lot of special guests. So you make sure now that you're a part of the family, you have mm-hmm. the paraphernalia, you got the gear, yeah. looking all good, delicious. Make sure you keep up with us. We will keep up with you. For sure. Right on. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Behind the Mask Podcast. Indulge, share, and subscribe to quality content. And we're everywhere. We're on YouTube. Make sure you scroll to the bottom. Click that little bell for notifications. We're on Google Play. We're on Spotify. And we're on Apple Music. Even on social media, we're going to make it easy for you. Follow at the BTM Podcast for your weekly fixings. And remember... There's only one rule. There are no rules. Let's go behind the mask. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.